kind of a nice picture up there. Let's do some farming. What does a Lansing boy know about farming? <laughs> Not much. I, uh, between ages 13 and ages 18, I helped my grandfather. He had about 300 acres of hay to bale every, uh, every summer. So that's my extension of, of knowing anything about farming. And you're probably wondering, so where are you going to go with this? No, we'll go somewhere with this. First off, let's, let's look at a few little terms about farming or farm kind of related things. And we'll see how much you know. Does anybody know what a cat skinner is? Possibly. Possibly. <laughs> I love that. Uh, somebody who drives big caterpillar equipment, moves big dirt around. Anybody know what a dibbler is? No. I heard somebody say, no, I don't know what a dibbler is. A little stake that you would bang into the earth in order to make a little indentation so you could put seed in it. A flirt. Well, if you had a flock and you also had a herd in the same field, you called it a flirt. Toad strangler. This room is filled with intellectual giants, let me tell you that. <laughs> Toad strangler, what we've been witnessing for the last like 48 hours where it just rains and rains and rains. And so as a result, you know, the toads just can't even, even a toad can't survive. I think you all know what it means to egg someone on, to get someone's goat, to have egg on someone's face. Y'all, you know what it means to horse around, or maybe some of you don't. To kill the goose that laid the golden egg. To make hay while the sun shines. To plow uh, one's own furrow. When I asked my students, do you know what any of these things are? The high school kids said, haven't got a clue. They thought that they've heard about horse around, but they, haven't, they didn't know. So think about this. Sometimes when it comes to farm terminology of, of 100 years ago, or maybe some phrases. This is something that becomes very unique to a culture, very unique to a people. And maybe when generations get passed on, those kinds of words, those kinds of phrases get lost over time. So today, when we start looking here at Jesus, talk a little bit about farming, some of that might get lost on us today. Because we don't live in 2,100 years ago. We live today. So as we begin taking a look here at doing some farming, I'd like us to take a look here at Matthew 11. Matthew 11, verses 1 through 7. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on there from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who was to come? Or should we expect somebody else? Think about this. John knows he's not getting out of prison. John knows this. And John wonders, cousin, I've been proclaiming that you are the Messiah. But are you really the Messiah? Because you know what? I I've hitched my star to your wagon, and are you it? My disciples, my disciples are wondering this too. And so what happens here? Continuing, Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, 
those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Here are John's disciples. Are you the guy? We have a lot of questions about that. We wonder oftentimes, will ever th things be the same? Will something happen again? I heard this week somebody said, you know what? I just don't know if the Cubs are ever going to win the World Series again. How long do I have to wait? I heard one person yesterday say, I don't know if I'm ever going to see a Republican president again. How long do I have to wait? We all wonder that. How long do we have to wait? People have been waiting here for hundreds of years wanting to know, is the Messiah coming or is the Messiah not coming? Is Emmanuel going to be here? Is God going to be with us someday? And even John, if John was in a, in, in a position where he too was questioning, are you it? Or do we got to keep waiting? And maybe John knows. Maybe John does know. And John's doing this for the benefit of his disciples. John's like, you know what? If you want to know who Jesus is, you got to ask him yourself. That's the message for us today living in the 21st century. If you want to know who Jesus is, you have to what? you got to find him yourself. you got to ask him yourself. And when we see these words here from Matthew uh, 11, and we see Jesus' response, we oftentimes think, Jesus, can, can you just say it like it is? It seems like you talk in code all the time. You know, they're asking you a straightforward question, are you the Messiah? And then you give them all this stuff. Can't you just say yes or can't you just say no? You know what? That's the problem with us today. We read the scripture too often through a 21st century lens. What Jesus did here was exactly that. Jesus answered the question and gave them even more information. I think about how these disciples, not only Jesus' disciples, but also John's disciples, what that was like to be a disciple. Think about it. These are young, these are young men. They have all different kinds of backgrounds, but they don't have a pedigree. They're not the elite. The elite ones oftentimes had a rabbi seek them out and they became that rabbi's disciples. For these guys, they were sought out by Jesus. They were sought out by John. That's a big deal. For some of you college students in the room, think about what it was like when you got that letter of acceptance from the college that you had hoped to be, hoped to go to. Hey, mom, dad, they accepted me. They want me. There's a feeling of, of, of blessing. Hey, God has given me this opportunity, and they want me. Yesterday, I was up at Calvin College with my basketball team. And I ran into one of the players that played for us. He was very good. He was recruited by Calvin. And I was just talking with him a little bit. Hey, well, you know, how's the program? And you know what? I remember his excitement when he knew that he was going to be chosen to be a part of that basketball program. We all want to be chosen. We all want to be sought out. We all want to be brought into something. And for these disciples, John's disciples, if John goes... There goes our master. We're never going to be picked up by any other rabbi again. We're not going to be picked up by any other teacher who's going to want us. So we got to know, Jesus, are you it? Are you the guy? And like I said, Jesus here, he gives a very, very poignant answer. Jesus' answer is, well, what have you seen? Have you seen the, the lame walk? 
Have you seen those with leprosy healed? Have you seen the people who were blind? There's your answer. Jesus gives the answer, yes, I'm the Messiah, and so much more. But see, once again, the problem is, is we Americans, we are very direct in, we're speaking, in our speaking. We say it oftentimes like it is. Sometimes we use sarcasm. Sometimes we use figures of speech. Think about sarcasm. In our, in our terms of sarcasm, you could say something like, what, what do you think? Or, what do you think? That phrase, the same exact words, has a total different meaning by the way I just used it right now. And for Jesus, he's giving full direction, yes, I am the Messiah. And then they've got their answer. So John's disciples start walking away. They got the answer they came for. And as they got the answer that they came for, and they're walking away, Jesus then looks back at that crowd there in Galilee, and he says, let me tell you about those disciples. Let me tell you about their rabbi, John. And he starts talking about John. And you know what? Oftentimes I think that the scriptures, and I, and I hope that you revisit it later maybe today or this week, revisit Matthew 11. The Bible translators oftentimes don't do us any favors. They break down these verses in little segments that sometimes makes us think that each segment is a different day. Or each segment is a different, is a different ministry or maybe a different sermon. Uh-uh. Matthew 11 is one full sermon. So as Jesus sees those apostles walking away, and he starts talking about them, and he starts talking about John, here's Jesus, the master teacher. He realizes, I got a teaching moment here. I got to retread this. People are probably wondering, yeah, am I that guy? And I got to go back and revisit this. There's plenty of times where I think I've, in, in my own career, uh, teaching high school, where you've got your lesson plans and you've got your curriculum, and you know what? Something has come up, a discussion has come up, and you've got to scrap it for the day. You've got to scrap it for the day and run with that kid's question and comment because it's going to lead to a more fruitful discussion in class. So, so Jesus is going to kind of scrap what he's doing, and he's going to go back to, who am I? And that turns us to Matthew 11. 25 through 30. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, it was for your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and to those whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Think about that. Here you are in the Galilean audience, and Jesus says, I'm revealing myself to you. I'm choosing you. I'm choosing you, of all the people in this world, to hear this message. Think about what those people felt like at that time. You're choosing to give this to us? You're choosing to tell us, of all people, that we are, that we are part of what's going to take place with you being the Messiah? Think about what Jesus is doing here. I know we've used this expression so many times, it sometimes gets lost, but Jesus does meet these people where they're at. There at that Galilean side, countryside, you had people who were farmers. You had people who were merchants. You had people who were Roman soldiers, probably kind of checking this Jesus out. You had fishermen there. You had people from all different types of backgrounds, all different diversity. 
there on that Galilean, uh, Galilean hillside, and Jesus brings the message to them, and he meets all of them where they're at. Every one of those people is going to walk away hearing maybe a little different twist, but yet the same impression. Let me put it this way. 33 years ago, I coached my very first sixth grade basketball team. And I've also had the opportunity to coach varsity. And what's the difference between sixth grade basketball team and varsity? Size. They make all the same mistakes. But you know what doesn't change between coaching a sixth grade team and a varsity team? The fundamentals. The fundamentals don't change. And for Jesus, with all these different people in the room, all these different backgrounds, the fundamental doesn't change. They're all going to come away grabbing something out of this. Think about that. Sometimes we do that in the Church of Jesus Christ. We say, well, maybe our church is just a secret church, so we're going to kind of do this. And if you are a person who's maybe been raised in a Christian home and you have, you know, a lot of Bible knowledge, maybe you're better off at this church over here because that's what they focus on more. That's not Jesus' method. Jesus' method is I'm going to bring the message to the whole entire group and I'm going to make sure that everybody here from the fishermen up to the Pharisee knows what I'm getting at because he meets them where they're at. And what does Jesus say when he meets them where they're at? He says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Three important words we want to look at here. First one, rest. You join in with me. You're going to find comfort. Next, learn. And in the original language, this particular word learn means to actually be ox-goaded. That's right. An ox-goad, if you wanted to move your oxen in the field, you had a long, almost like a spear. and had a point on the end, and you had to kind of jab that oxen to get it going where it's supposed to go. So that's right. If you are going to be with Jesus... He's going to push you sometimes in some very uncomfortable directions, okay? And sometimes it just may hurt to get you moving in that right direction. And finally, the third word, burden. Now, there's plenty of passages in Scripture that talk about God carrying our sufferings and our burdens. That's not what it means here. The burden here meant well-fitted. You want to know who Jesus is? You've got to ask him yourself. And when you ask him, Jesus is going to say, I'm going to be well-fitted with you. There's going to be nobody who knows more about you than me. I'm going to be connected with you. So now, let's look at some farming. I don't know if you've ever been here, but I had an opportunity a few years ago to go on a, a teacher workshop up to the Boston area. And this is Minuteman National Park. And if you look at the picture here on the left, that road has been recreated by the National Park Service to look the same way it did when Paul Revere made that famous midnight ride. And that building off to the left right there, that's Hartwell Tavern. It's still there. It's well, well over 250 years old. The building still exists. And right next to it, there's a little brick wall, and then there's some oxen who are in that, in that pasture. And I had the opportunity to go hear an ox-powered demonstration 
about how they would do farming in the colonial times. And between Jesus' day and age and the colonial times, not much with the technology changed. It was pretty much farming was farming. For those of you in this room, maybe you've been farming for, you know, 50, 60 years and you've seen the technology change. Here, the technology didn't change all that much. And I got to listen to this ox power demonstration. How important oxen were at that time. Because oxen, oxen are four-wheel drive animals. They push and they pull. A horse, oh yeah, you can put a horse in a field and you can attach a plow to a horse. But that's going to be pulling with its hindquarters. It's going to be taxing that animal. Animal can do it. It's kind of like maybe taking an F-250 and hitching a two-point plow behind and going into the field. Can it get the job possibly done? Yeah, but you're taxing that, you're taxing that transmission. With oxen, you put the plow on them, and they'll plow all day long. They're meant for it. And when you put together an oxen to plow your field, here's what you want to have. You want to have three things. You want to have them fitted just right. Fitted with what? I don't know, maybe a yoke. We got a yoke? Oh, wrong room. Didn't know there was a closet there. I'll be right back. Thought that closet went right into the other room. It didn't. Here we got a yoke. Now you're like, where did you get that from? Had to go to Hebron. Now some of you are like, well, we live in Lowell and Hebron. But when you're living Lansing and you've got to go to Hebron, I'm looking for a Best Western along the way to stay overnight because that's a long drive. You're putting, now this should actually be flipped around. But what you're doing is you've got to fit this just right. We just talked about being fitted, burdened. Okay, You have to be fitted just right. What's ideal is if you have somebody from the same family, if you have two oxen that are from the same family and the same size, that's even better. Now, the problem is, is that happening is going to be unlikely. In Jesus' time, when he's going to talk about a yoke, there's going to be some people who are going to be the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, when they heard that word yoke, they thought about the yoke of prayer, the yoke of duty. For most of the people there at that Galilean hillside, they had been a part of a farming culture. When they, used, when they heard the word yoke, they saw it a little differently. But still, the fundamental is the same. The fundamental about being fitted with Jesus is going to be the same whether you're a Pharisee or whether you're a farmer. So yes, out there in the farm field, you're most likely, you would love to have two brothers, two brother oxen pulling side by side. Chances are it's not going to happen. Most likely you're going to have a father and a son. Now, if we get the Sherman boys up here, you guys the same size? No. So here's dad in one. Here's son in the other. And what's going to happen? Dad's doing the heavy lifting. Dad, are you willing to do the heavy lifting for your boy? You bet you're willing to do the heavy lifting for your boy. And that's what Jesus is driving home. You get yoked with me, and something radically changes. 
You get yoked with me, we're not equal. But I, the Messiah, I, you've come to see me, you want to know who Jesus is? Come and ask him yourselves, if you're yoked with me, I'm doing the heavy lifting. That's exactly what happens. We look at three more things. Out there in the field, when it comes to utilizing these oxen, one has to take the lead. One takes the load. And one gets damaged in the process. Many of you parents, you know what it's like to kind of push your kids along. Hey, get out of bed. It's time to go to school. Get, you got to get going to work. You push them along. Sometimes some of you older parents, maybe you've had adult children. You've kind of had to pull them in one way. Are you sure you want to do that? Are you sure you want to buy that house? Are you sure you want to buy that piece of property? You've tried to pull them in the right direction because you know why? Because you've been down that road before. And you want your ch child to be pulled in the right direction. Here in the field, what's going to happen is you're going to most likely have two unequal, unequal oxen. And one's going to have to take the lead. And one's going to have to get that thing pushing through that field. And the other one's going to follow. And our Lord does that to us. He pushes us in that field and we start moving to the next spot. And sometimes what happens is the Lord pulls on us too. And an oxen's natural tendency is to have its head down low. Especially if it's the weaker animal, it's just going along, doing its job. And when it starts getting pulled by the one that knows what it's doing, by that daddy oxen who's been in that field, who knows that field, knows every little ravine, every little furrow, every little dip. What happens to this oxen here? It gets its head up. It gets pulled, and when it gets pulled, it gets its head up, and it sees where it's supposed to be going. Jesus does that to us too. Sometimes we get pushed, and sometimes our Lord pulls us, and he pops our head up, and we see where we're supposed to be going. Our Lord partners with us. Our Lord makes us well-fitted with him. So what are possible five lessons we learn from this? There could be 50 lessons we learn from this passage, but what is it? Number one, get your head up. When we are well-fitted and we are yoked with our Lord and Savior, get your head up and see where he's pulling you. See how God has fitted you with him. He said, my burden is easy. My yoke is light. I'm fitting you. I'm fitting you to be with me. And know that our Lord in that field, he's done the heavy lifting. He's done the heavy lifting so we don't have to. Also know this. Our Lord knows every square inch of that field that needs to get plowed. He's been there. He's gone before us. He knows where we have to go. Every square inch of that field needs to be plowed, and he knows where to do it. And finally, you know what happens when that field is plowed right? You look behind, and you see a harvest. Because, because God's been with us. You see a harvest of what the Lord has produced. A month ago, Memorial Day weekend, I gave you a little something as you walked out. You got a little, little thing of sand. Do you remember? To get off the what? To get off the beach. Today, 
you have one square inch. Now you might say, well, actually, technically, in mathematical terms, it's a cube. But it's one square inch. It's one square inch to remind yourself that this whole entire harvest has to be plowed. This whole field has to be plowed. You know what happened a little over a month ago? What happened over a month ago is it was Pentecost. That's right. I know churches across America celebrated Pentecost, that time in which the Holy Spirit came. And that's how we get fitted with Jesus. We get fitted with Jesus because the Holy Spirit works in our hearts. And when the Holy Spirit works in our hearts and makes us fitted with him, that's the story of Pentecost. Pentecost was a special harvest feast. See, oftentimes in America, when we celebrate our harvest feast, Thanksgiving, we wait until all the work is done. You know what? We like to do that as Americans. Nobody gets dessert until all the dinner is finished. Nobody gets to rest until all the work is in. Uh-uh. In biblical times, it was a little different. In biblical times, God said, here's the thing. I've given you this whole and beautiful harvest. Go out collect a little bit of that harvest and celebrate with it celebrate with it enjoy that thanksgiving feast because you know what you got a lot more work to do but enjoy a little bit right now i think about this odyssey that i used to take with my cousins back in the summertime back in 1976 and 1977 grandma would pick up all the kids and we would go to this place called demott and we would pick blueberries okay I think we went to this place called Kingma's. Is that still around? Okay, is there a Kingma in the, in the group here? And what would happen is grandma would give us this little pail, and me and my cousins, we all knew what was going to happen. We had to fill that pail, but you know what? Bring along your squirt guns. Bring along your slingshots, because we're going to be running all over that place and, you know, having fun with my cousins. But we knew we had some work to do first. We knew we had to fill up that pail of blueberries. So yeah, we grab a couple handfuls, we put them in the bucket, but then what do you do with the next three or four handfuls? You eat them. And when you eat them, you're like, oh, that's good. Yeah, this isn't so bad. I'm going to fill up this pail because I know that it has to be filled up. Hope Church, there's some good farmers in this, in this congregation. There are some farmers in here, and I know many of you personally, and over the last few times I've been here, I've come to know a lot of you even more. And there's a lot of people who know how to help you get fitted if you don't know how to get fitted. There's a lot of people here at Hope Church that know that there's a harvest out there. And you've enjoyed some of that harvest already. You've enjoyed some of the feast of the first fruits. You've gotten those first couple berries. But you know the rest of the bucket has to get filled up. The rest of that bucket's got to get filled up. John Calvin, he says, Christians are weak. And when he means Christians are weak, he oftentimes doesn't mean that, that we are weak physically or mentally, but sometimes we just don't always get it. Not only... God not only speaks to our ears, but also displays his promises to our eyes by the means of the sacrament. Yep, when you partake of the Lord's Supper, when you see baptism, we need to have those visual learners, or those visual items. I've taught school a long time, and kids always will tell me, yes, if they read something, it might stick a little bit. If they do something, it sticks a whole lot more. If they see something, they actually see it, 
and hold on to it, it sticks even more. Now, I'm not saying that this little piece of wood is a sacrament by no means. Not at all. But I hope that you use it as a reminder that our Lord tells us to go into that field with him and cover every square inch. And if you take one of these on the way out today and you put it on your dashboard of your truck, maybe remember, we got to go after every square inch of this harvest. Maybe you put it on your desk at work and tomorrow, when maybe a coworker walks by and they say, why do you have a piece of wood on your desk? It gives you that, that, that opening to say, I got this yesterday when I was at church. To know that every square inch of this world is owned and possessed by my Lord and Savior. And he has fitted me to go out and to draw in that harvest. All God's people, can we do some farming? All God's people say amen. Amen. Lord, we come before you this morning hour. You control and you govern every square inch of this earth. You have every square inch mapped out. You know the field and you fitted us for the task. Lord, we pray that you fit us in this yoke that you sometimes goad us along, you push us, you pull us, you make us feel uncomfortable, but in the end, we know the beauty of that harvest that waits for those inside the church and outside. We ask, Lord, that throughout this week, you give us opportunities to reach that harvest. You give us opportunities to meet the needs that you've fitted us to do. In your name we pray.